Founded more than 40 years ago, Genentech has a long-standing commitment to responsible pricing that is designed to strike a balance between ensuring patients have rapid, broad, and sustainable access to their medicines, while at the same time preserving the company's ability to invest in future scientific innovations that drive important medical breakthroughs for patients. To learn more, visit www.gene.com pricing. Dan Diamond, can I can I read you an email? Read away. All right. So this is uh, Friday, September 25th, 2020 at 12.51 p.m. Dan Diamond to the entire newsroom. Anyone have contact info for Garth Brooks? I swear this is for a story. <laughs> and it was. It was absolutely I know, for a story. No, but I, when I first saw that, I was thinking, like, Dan, Dan's just using his uh, journalism buds to get, get an autograph from, from his uh, favorite country singer. <laughs> Instead of seeking an autograph, I was the reporter leaving a voicemail on Garth Brooks' home number asking him to call me back for an article. I, I got to ask, what's his, what's his, like, voicemail message like? You know, I want to respect his privacy. I will say it's his voice, but in kind of a funny way. And I did confirm <laughs> I did confirm with someone close to him that, yes, I'd actually reached Garth Brooks' home number. <laughs> Hello, Pulse Check listeners. This is Dan Diamond, and welcome to our special Pulse Check series on the coronavirus outbreak and the Trump administration's response. Today, I'm in conversation with Jeremy Siegel, my colleague and one of my friends in low places, from our daily Dispatch podcast. We're looking at a $300 million taxpayer-funded ad blitz from the health department touting the administration's response to the pandemic and other coronavirus information. Here's our conversation. What exactly is this ad campaign? How did it come together? There was an idea by Michael Caputo, the Assistant Secretary for Public Affairs, the top spokesperson at HHS. I'm now beginning a $250 million uh, campaign. That the U.S. government needed to do more to restore hope, to defeat despair about coronavirus. And specifically, that that despair was hanging over the economy, that it was hurting his friend and boss, President Trump's chances at re-election. But it's designed to get people back to bring the bring America back and the Democrats and by the way their their conjugal media and the leftist scientists that are working for the government are dead set against it. Caputo inside the health department talked about this idea for months. Some of it spilled out into public. He certainly talked about it with me and other reporters. He alluded to the need to defeat despair on a number of podcasts that he did by HHS. Hello and welcome to Learning Curve. I'm Michael Caputo, the Assistant Secretary for Public Affairs of the United States Department of Health and Human Services. Who's going to fix the despair? It's pretty profound. And by the summer, he was moving forward with funding this ad campaign. His team helped put in motion an operation to get $300 million from the Centers for Disease Control to take money from the CDC. Now, on the CDC end, Officials there were really confused why this money was being abruptly taken. When they learned that it was for an ad campaign, they were confused why they weren't involved. Historically, the CDC plays a major role or even the central role in these sorts of national campaigns. And as I was digging into the story a few weeks ago, I learned that the video firm that was contracted uh, to help produce 
these ads, to reach out to celebrities, hypothetically like Garth Brooks. That video firm was led by a filmmaker who had no experience doing these kinds of campaigns and was the business partner of Michael Caputo. Michael Caputo had been getting paid by this man, Den Tolmer, to do his public relations earlier this year, according to an ethics disclosure form that I got from HHS. So the combination of where that money was coming from and being ripped from CDC, as well as the people working to execute the project, that really drew me in and made this more than just a curiosity, but a story that seemed worthy of an investigation. So the health department is reaching out to high-profile people, to celebrities to participate in this campaign. Who all did they try to get? They had a wish list, and we got at least part of it, of celebrities that they were targeting. People like Lady Gaga, Justin Timberlake, Billy Joel. Some of those names are in the story. But I got to say, Jeremy, that when I was reaching out to these celebrities to try and confirm that they'd been approached or that they were potentially going to be part of the campaign— Some of them claimed that they hadn't heard anything from the administration. Others did not want to talk about it at all. They were worried about their clients uh, being dragged into the story. But we do know that at least three people, Dennis Quaid, the actor. You go play, all right? Got to get back. The gospel singer, Cece Winans. and a Hasidic singer named Shulam Lemmer sat for recordings across the past few weeks. It's interesting. I mean, I think for a lot of high-profile figures, for a lot of celebrities, the Trump White House and the coronavirus pandemic, it's like a raging fire that you probably want to stay away from at all costs. But, I mean, they got a few people to participate here. I'm wondering, why would anybody get involved? I think you got to look at it from the celebrities' perspective. They have no idea of the behind-the-scenes machinations that are happening in D.C. or why someone like Michael Caputo might be pursuing this campaign or even how it was funded. Hello, everybody. Dennis Quaid here. I have to say that right now I am feeling some outrage and a lot of disappointment about a PSA, an interview that I did with Dr. Anthony Fauci a few weeks ago. A lot of them just wanted to do good. They wanted to be helpful. And certainly someone like Dennis Quaid, who ended up being the biggest name that this campaign got, he's someone who seems to care deeply about fighting coronavirus. What I was doing as I did a PSA for Dr. Anthony Fauci, and he was kind enough to grant me uh, an interview as well. And the interview and PSA were about raising awareness of COVID-19 and what we can still do to prevent lives being lost by this terrible, terrible virus. And didn't seem to have much of a political inkling, despite making some comments earlier this year where he seemed to support the president, and that definitely got the attention of people in HHS. Quaid seemed to say that Trump was doing a good job at handling coronavirus, Quaid himself has been pretty clear. He had no interest in doing anything political. This campaign has come under a lot of scrutiny, including from Democrats who say it's just an election year attempt to help boost Trump's prospects in November. But I got to ask, I mean, isn't an ad campaign on coronavirus, when it comes down to it, a good idea? Like if this were any other administration, would this be getting the scrutiny it is getting? 
I think awareness is a great idea. And to put people like Tony Fauci or Surgeon General Jerome Adams in front of microphones and talk about public health risks, that is something that would seem to benefit a lot of Americans during a crisis. The issue, Jeremy, is how this one came together. The fact that the CDC and other career health experts felt so frozen out, that to me, as someone reporting on this, was potentially concerning. And officials in and around the administration, people who had worked at HHS, told me that was a big red flag. Why have someone like Michael Caputo, who had no medical and scientific background, and his team steer this effort rather than career health experts who have no political affiliation? I think second, the idea that this was going to be rushed ahead of the election. HHS confirmed to me that the goal was to have about 20 PSAs done in the two months before the election, September and October. And that gets to another major issue, which is this campaign was running well behind where officials had hoped it would be even before Politico wrote its first story on this last week. There were only three actors and celebrities who had been booked. There was a hope of doing many more. And some of that speaks to the team that was put into place here. If the government really wanted to have a national coronavirus awareness campaign, there are lots of resources, there are lots of people in the government, allied with the government, who could have been helpful. They were blocked out. And that seems to be a big difference in how the government historically approaches awareness campaigns versus how they went after this one. So what happens with all of this now? I mean, the federal government set aside a bunch of money, at least $300 million, you say, for this campaign. What happens to that money? Well, I know they're still pushing ahead with trying to figure out how to make this ad campaign work, even as celebrities like Dennis Quaid has appeared to drop out, said he didn't want to be part of it. There's some question, too, about someone like Cece Winans, if she's going to stay in as well. There are a few performers who are sort of in that vein, people who are known but maybe not the most well-known, who I understand are still talking to the government. Uh, maybe one or two big names that were still in, in the mix, too. But there's also a chance that they'll reposition the entire campaign and move away from celebrities just to promote messages that are, are more in line with traditional public health. I, I think it's interesting, Jeremy. We might end up seeing a very different campaign in the next couple of weeks than the campaign that Michael Caputo had originally hoped for earlier this year. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back in just a minute after a message from our sponsor. Founded more than 40 years ago, Genentech has a long-standing commitment to responsible pricing that is designed to strike a balance between ensuring patients have rapid, broad, and sustainable access to their medicines, while at the same time preserving the company's ability to invest in future scientific breakthroughs and therapeutic advancements for patients. Over the last several years, Genentech has launched 13 groundbreaking medicines in areas of great need for innovation, including multiple sclerosis, hemophilia, spinal muscular atrophy, and different types of cancer. And they've priced these new medicines at or below, and in some cases significantly below, other FDA-approved medicines used to treat the same disease. Visit www.gene.com pricing to learn more. I feel like most conversations we have have names that some people might recognize, you know, like Alex Azar. That's tossed around a lot during this pandemic, Seema Verma. But there are definitely more names in this show that anybody would recognize than, you know, anything we've talked about before. What's it like for you as somebody who is covering healthcare, health policy, you know, day in and day out to become 
a celebrity reporter for a couple days. <laughs> you, you think Seema Verma and Alex Azar don't count as big celebrities? <laughs> they are in my world. Uh, I, I think it's been a little bit of an eye-opener for a couple reasons. First, there's so much attention around celebrities and what they do that it can amplify a story in ways that, as a reporter who covers healthcare, I, I haven't quite seen before. For instance, Dennis Quaid. I heard that he was involved in this campaign. I reached out to his representatives last week. They said they'd get back. They, they didn't. Um, and I think part of that, too, is if you are focused on Hollywood, Politico reaching out probably is not going to be the top of your list to respond. But we put out our story that just said Dennis Quaid, who had sat for a PSA, he was involved in the campaign, and the internet tried to cancel him. It is being used by the cancel culture media that I was doing a campaign ad, an endorsement of Donald Trump, and that I was paid handsomely for this by diverted CDC funds. Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, there, there was so much anger toward Quaid, and it made me understand a little bit more just how sensitive all celebrities are about their images. And certainly in reaching out to some of the names on that wish list, people like Justin Timberlake and Billy Joel and Lady Gaga, uh, I, I can't say which celebrity, but one of the representatives called me and very kindly asked, you know, can, can you just make sure that my person's not in the story I said, you know, no, I, I can't do that. Like, I've obtained documents that that show this. <laughs> and the celebrity representative seemed to be a little confused about all that. So it, it seems like it's a very different world uh, in the entertainment business versus, say, covering politics and policy. I'm pretty happy to stay in this one, at, at least for now. It's kind of nuts looking in your story and seeing some of the documents you obtained. I mean, I'm looking at one right now that shows the spreadsheet of preferred celebrities for this project. And it's like, I mean, it looks like, you know, a 12-year-old might have put together like a celebrity bingo card. How did you get these documents? How did you get this story in the first place? Oh, man. Well, first, I, I want to say that Daniel Lippman put a spotlight on this about a month ago when he broke the news that HHS was moving forward with this giant, at the time, $250 million contract, which we've learned since, is part of this bigger $300 million plus initiative. But after that story, I first heard that we needed to essentially follow the money, uh, that it wasn't just HHS reaching into the couch cushions for this money, but that the money had been taken from CDC. So that led me down the path of then just trying to follow the contracts. And that led to the realization that the video team working on producing these videos was the business partner of the public affairs official who was putting the entire campaign together. And that would seem to raise some big questions, especially for investigators that were already probing this contract, as Democrats have looked into this in recent weeks. All right, that is our show for this week. I'm Dan Diamond, and my thanks to my friend and colleague, Jeremy Siegel, for joining me this week, every week, even when the news is a little bit more unusual. Jenny Ament is our senior producer, and Irene Noguchi is our executive producer. You can subscribe to Political Pulse Check on your favorite podcast app, and you can help us by leaving a rating or review. That helps new listeners discover the show. Thanks so much for listening. Please stay safe, and we will be back with you again next week. The way to bring this country to its knees is to choke off our supply. 
Imagine for a second our globe as a series of supply chains. Food, everyday goods, and raw materials zooming across the world in a single day. But what if those global supply chains suddenly ground to a halt? It's not just about finding which vaccines work, it's about preparing the manufacturing and supply chains for those. And if one little detail in those supply chains goes wrong, we might not be getting vaccines to people when they desperately need them. The global pandemic showed us what it's like when we can't get the things we need. Masks, personal protective equipment, even toilet paper. There's simply not enough raw materials. We have to figure out how to get this right. There is a bigger story behind the scarcity. We need to fight back against China. A bigger picture with implications for our future. That's going to be a major challenge. On this season of Global Translations, where has globalization fallen short? And where do we go from here? The 90s called and their economics is not what we need now. I'm Louisa Savage. I've spent my career thinking about the global forces that shape our world. Join me and other journalists from Politico. A new season of Global Translations coming in October. Presented by City, a leading global bank.